Welcome back to the Ink Sync. I am Annie. I'm Kaylee. We are celebrating readers, leaders, and word nerds on the publishing podcast for the rest of us. I love it. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Annie just came up with a new hashtag. Not just now. It was it was a little while ago. Oh, okay. I wrote it down on my notes. Um, I was reading. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so that's our new tagline. Kaylee, we are knee deep in season two. Actually, we're like ankle deep in season I, I two. We're ankle deep, point. really, yeah. at this point, yeah. I am absolutely floored constantly by the fact that we are in season two. That's so First good. of all, we have been doing this show You're for great. a year. This is crazy. And we have 20 subscribers on Spotify. 20 entire people. That's a, that's double digits twice. Yeah. That's amazing. And I'm I was, I thought only like four people listened, including us. <laughs> I know I listen on our, I listen on YouTube because nobody listens on YouTube. So I'm like bumping our. <laughs> so we have six subscribers on YouTube oh. and 20 subscribers on Spotify. And one of them. I don't get to see our numbers on like Apple or pot or the other podcatchers. So maybe we have like a million Apple listeners. <laughs> Very big on Apple. <laughs> if we do... Um, we Schrodinger's Apple celebrities. <laughs> That's right. We'll never know because I can't ever log into Apple now that I've said that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I can't look. I can't look. Um, if you do listen to us on Apple, as a heads up, Apple is the only podcast platform that does charge us to host our podcast on there. So if you would like to keep us free on Apple, uh, please support us. I think you can go to like anchor.fm slash the dash ink that dash sync slash support to support us and it's like 99 cents a month if you want to um just letting you know if you listen on apple it's difficult to get on apple (laughs) that is fair i don't know i never thought about streaming maybe we should be on twitch but i don't want to stream our shit i want to edit it (laughs) i mean they do like re-airs or whatever so okay we don't have to be live Mm, okay that's true i get look girl Critical Role also established a buffer so they could add in special effects. <laughs> Did they really? Their, oh, yeah, no. That was, like, That's 100% a thing. Like, they had, like, you That's know, $2 cute. in a box of Tic Tacs. But, you know. Um, for those of you who follow us on Twitter, you already know this. But for those who don't, as a heads up, we created a Substack, which is basically a blog. Um, but it's a newsletter style blog, so you can go subscribe on Substack and you will get an email in your inbox the next time that we post specifically a transcript. Kaylee and I are big on accessibility and making sure that everyone is able to read slash see slash listen to the podcast if they want to. So um, we're going to be putting our transcripts up on our Substack and our link tree is available everywhere that we are. So you can click on the link tree and get to the Substack, our Anchor, our YouTube. You can check out our bookshop page, follow us on all our socials, blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to, we also have a tip jar available. If you don't like going through Stripe, you can go through PayPal on Linktree. I think that's all of our administration stuff. I think that's everything I've done in the past couple of weeks. Annie's a rock star. <laughs> Just in case anybody was wondering, she's amazing. Oh, thanks. Um, and if you want to see a link to all of the poems that Kaylee read on our poetry episode that is in the transcript, um, the one, the Tumblr one, as well as the Emily Dickinson, E.E. E. Cummings, the Aeneid, and Dante's Inferno. Um, all of those are in there, as well as Hear Bullet and Her Soul Out of Nothing are all in that uh, bookshop link. All right, let's move into the actual news, Kaylee, as we have been <laughs> recording for a half an hour. Meandering around. 
stopping to smell the tulips. They're great tulips, aren't they? They're lovely. <laughs> All right. So the first thing that I found, I found absolutely fascinating, and I wanted to talk about it right up top. This is a thread from Ask Historians. We talk a little bit about what goes into um, books and money and what doesn't. And interestingly, um, a question I get a lot is kind of about this is like, what is the difference between a book that's kind of just like a generic you know, we put bestseller in quotes that sells like 5,000 copies or whatever. <laughs> and one that sells millions of copies, like what is that difference? Where is that line? What makes something kind of go over, go from like something that's, you know, a bestseller to like something everyone and their mother has read and can, you know, discourse on or whatever. Like I'm thinking like things like Eat, Pray, Love mm-hmm. or the Da Vinci Code, perhaps. <laughs> as just to, as a random Pick example. That one completely mm-hmm. randomly. Yeah. Um, so this is a thread from Reddit. A Reddit user went to our Ask Historians, uh, which is a wonderful subreddit. Uh, people ask questions and historians will answer. It's actually very heavily moderated. So there's a lot of mods in there making sure that the stuff is historically accurate and well sourced and stuff, which is very, very cool. And the user wanted to know why on earth we all went in their words, ape shit for the Da Vinci Code. And I, we did. Do you remember that? Like the Da Vinci Code was everywhere. So let me tell you something. This is a very funny thing for me. So you're correct. And I know this because I was graduating college and I went to Greece like, the summer of my last year with my uh, classics professor. The Da Vinci Code had come out, right? So they did Angels and Demons as like the second movie or something. Yes. Right. So that was in theaters and my professor hated those movies and he went he, he took us all there and we hate watched them apparently and i it was just him just just crapping all over this movie for two and a half hours and we left and then immediately started giving him so much shit because it was but it, it was just like that that was how prevalent it was this man he's a deacon like a very otherwise very genial, responsible, uh-huh. like very personable, professional person, but like just frothing at the mouth <laughs> for the pseudo history that was present from Dan Brown. And and it, it goes into it in this thread a little bit in the, one of the responses is because he is a true believer. Right. Who wrote with his own conviction. Yes. And other people are just like, yeah, sure, why not? And like, didn't actually do their own research and just, oh, yeah. cheers to you. Sorry. No, it's true. A lot of people genuinely read The Da Vinci Code and or Angels and Demons and were like, wow, that must be true. Dan it's Brown's- in this fictional thriller. Dan Brown's. <laughs> he told me he wouldn't. He can't lie. It's illegal. He's, he's created an Indiana Jones type character. And we all know how accurate those were. <laughs> Oh, it was so funny. I loved it. So everything about that response, like it's so interesting. I it just, is. It's fascinating. fascinating. So a uh, a Cold War historian uh, chimed in, going a little bit out of their purview, if we're being honest. Um, but they had some really- critical thinking doesn't have borders. That's right. <laughs> um, so this uh, this person is a moderator on the subreddit. So they were able to do some deep dive research on um, and found some interviews with Dan Brown and pulled on some old blog posts to to talk about it. But basically, yeah, Kaylee, as Kaylee said, Dan Brown was a true believer. He genuinely believed all the things that he had written in these books. But I think one of the really interesting things was that for specifically the Da Vinci Code, like when it comes to Indiana Jones, like we have ground penetrating radar. We know that that like temple in that canyon in Jordan does not have a secret chamber with the Holy Grail in it. Like we know that we can confirm that. 
Can we confirm that one dude 2,000 years ago didn't maybe have a kid? Not really. Not as easily, certainly. (laughs) And you certainly can't prove a negative. So you can't prove it didn't. So there's a little bit more, like, nuance of could this possibly be real? Um, And so that was something that really, really helped it along. And then also, and this is a little bit cynical, I guess, but... Dan Brown worked very closely with his agent and his publisher to specifically come up with something that that was going to drum up controversy. Yeah. Controversy. It was going to be salacious. It was going to be shocking. And to the point where the publisher just saw the proposal and was like, yes. And they started the marketing plan then. It was interesting because like his agent jumped ship from simon and schuster and took dan brown with him and it was not a like done deal it was like they had to sell this to their new publishing company so they workshopped it because they were like look we know angels and demons didn't do as well yeah i think there i think there's a reason why let's start now so dan brown got like i want to say four hundred thousand dollars for a two-book deal, which yeah. is a very large advance. It's not the largest advance I've ever heard, certainly not for an author with a track record, but that's a large advance. He had a track record and that he can, he delivered a finished product, which, to be fair, is hard. Like, that is difficult as somebody that has finished stories and also hasn't finished stories. I have a three out of four chapters on my Tron fanfiction that have just lived in that state <laughs> for years. Setting that aside, the publisher thought, yes, you're right. This does have the the, bones. the seed mm-hmm. of controversy. This yeah. has a fantastic element of something that will inspire people to react. Um, oh, we so it was interesting. Brown, no, I yeah. think that's fascinating because like they saw that, yes, with the idea that you workshopped, which they specifically went in to use a non-standard marketing campaign. They wanted to generate... Yeah outrage and interest and intrigue yeah we would call that that guerrilla marketing probably now grassroots is what they called it yeah 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 they were ready like the publishing Mm -hmm. company knew what they were about yeah so it was a it was a combination of that publishing company needing basically to to have a winner and then having a very juicy salacious topic to market a book on and that just I guess we hadn't had a book like that in a while. Um, I don't remember a book like that happening in a while, for sure. I was talking about how, like, the there. it's not that the first time that that particular, like, idea or concept of Despite Christ, what Dan Brown might think, that right. was not the first book to have that topic. Right. And it's not even the first, like, historic examination and, like, right. this is what evidence right. could support it or couldn't support it. It just wasn't widely discussed yeah it had been a while since the last indiana jones movie it had been a while since we'd seen something like that and it was like it suddenly became a favorite topic of national treasure yeah of like every blog to be like the museum debunking this uh, or or talking about like where it went wrong but like here's like obviously we all read it so here's you know more money for dan brown yep yeah. Um, I think that there's like a lot of people who would kind of look at that and say that's kind of cynical. Like we want to think of authors, you know, typing away and coming up with creative ideas out of nowhere. And that's true, you know, but also publishing is a business. And that was the I first don't, book. Yeah, I don't <laughs> exactly. And it didn't sell very well. Um, I don't think it's 
you know, ridiculous. Uh, right now we have entire companies that we call book packagers that just shop around for authors to write an idea that already exists that's been like – you know, vetted by marketers and stuff like that. So I'm Cooking not... Cooking romance novels. We were talking about the genres and, like, things that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see one really well, one sells really well, and then suddenly there are 17. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is just... We saw it at the beginning. Yeah, instead of <laughs> later on. But yeah, uh, I thought that was absolutely fascinating, and I was really glad. And thank you so much to that Cold War historian <laughs> who took time to do... Oh, my God. It was... Research Dan Brown this week. What uh <laughs> That that person did a dive. Like, it was an essay response. I like, could tell. Yeah. God bless historians. Yes, absolutely. Moving on to more FBI stories. Fascinating story intersecting with our love of libraries as well. Uh, this comes to us from the Washington Post. It turns out that the FBI has been using library checkouts as part of its surveillance operations for decades, um, specifically from the 70s to the 90s. And uh, I I, re- I read this and I sent it to you. Like, this felt so part of the this is our culture war right now political mentality. But this was decades ago. This is in the 70s. So way before the recent book bans. Yep. I had to read this like as quickly as possible, so unfortunately, so I yeah, just sorry. Didn't, nah, it was in it was in the Washington Post. It yeah, was a no, paywall, so I had to get it to Kaylee a little bit later. Unfortunately, yeah. But side note: while Kaylee is uh, pulling this up, like if I can make a quick little plug for libraries, you might have a a newspaper subscription through your library. You should you should probably chat to all of our listeners. I should also <laughs> to also your also to Kaylee <laughs> to me. Hi, <laughs> I got it. I picked it up. Mm-hmm. Wow, like. Like mm-hmm. we joked about Craig, your FBI agent or whatever, like right. Steve, your your CIA like like analyst that's listening to your internet conversations, but right. like probably actually there was a dude yeah. who was reviewing like the stuff that you checked out. Right. I used to check out so many books when I was a kid. Like my mom had to pay like a thirty dollar fine one time because she didn't get back to the <laughs> library for like a few days. Oh and no. Didn't realize how many books we had checked out. <laughs> And I don't know how, like, she was there the whole time. No. But, um, but yeah, I can't even imagine. You just weren't making trouble. She didn't, she wasn't paying that much I attention. I wasn't doing drugs on the street. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I, I feel like a $30 library fine is probably better than, you know, <laughs> drugs on the street. <laughs> so worse. I understand not wanting to spend that $30. Right, right. However. Yeah, I uh, I loved, by the way, in this story, you see librarians, much like today, just just getting like, excuse me, excuse me, privacy means privacy. In this place, in this library, uh, people are free to learn. And sometimes they're going to learn things that you don't want them to learn. And librarians are going to, you know, we're going to stand up to you, FBI. And I love that. I, know, it's, I like that we're seeing that today, too, you know, we're yeah. kind of seeing a little bit of it. I mean, I, I also appreciate that it's a consistent, like, culture in libraries yeah. of activism and resistance. Mm-hmm. I was listening to an interview with a, a librarian, a school librarian, um, somewhat recently during the, the recent book bans. I'll see if I can find it and I'll put it in the show notes. But she was talking about how brave and how much she respected her students who were brave enough to come check out books about sexuality. You know, she's like, the courage it takes to come in, pick that book up, walk to the library desk, look the librarian in the eye, take the book out, walk that book through the school to your bus or to your car, and then to read it. Uh, she's like, at that, I, I want to defend that courage. I want to be able to stand up to these book bans in the school board. And she said, you know, 
I, I, I want to do this for them. You know, I'm honoring their bravery. And I really appreciated that librarians do seem to have been doing that at least since the seventies, probably for a lot longer. Right. And it's, it's so interesting because like we're fighting that with these book bans right now, like the argument, you know, from parents is like, well, it should be a discussion between like parents and their kids and kids right. are like, we have questions. It's not just like about sex. It's just like about things that are related to reproduction and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And, parents just don't know like they don't sure. know the answer so sure. it's can't. a little bit of hubris i would say to, as a parent to sit here and say oh i know everything you have to only ask me and no one else like uh, okay i mean are you sure you know everything though because it seems really weird if you would know everything <laughs> yeah you don't know everything about anything else i would like, have questions about this <laughs> i have new are questions. you google like what's going on <laughs> i have new questions is now. my mom a robot Oh my god, AI hacked. Finally. That's right. <laughs> this is the true promise of AI. We breached. I do have a couple corrections, though, from our last news episode. There was a little bit of confusion when we were talking about um, author and pub worker salaries. Because authors and publishing workers are actually two separate groups. And we were talking about the publishing workers having to have salaries commiserate to living in New York and authors making a very, very little money. And obviously that didn't quite make sense if you thought those were the same group. It's separate groups. Authors usually work on a freelance basis, which is why they are making at a median about $10,000 a year. And the pub workers, the people at HarperCollins, are making closer to forty to forty-five k a year as a base salary because living in New York is so expensive. I think I looked it up one time and the average rent in New York is about forty k a year. So making forty-five k is not enough to live in any like even just to live in a physical space so they did need more money and they were able to get that 40,000 in New York exactly they were able to for those of you who have been following the HarperCollins strike was successful they went back to work uh, within the past few weeks we are recording this in late February so they just went back to work congratulations guys three months since February started feels that way you guys don't understand like so much has happened it's not great but anyway good for you guys you stuck to your guns you froze your asses off you went through it so cheers absolutely um and on that note i did find a thread on authors even best-selling authors and how their revenue breaks down and i just kind of wanted to run through that so that you can kind of see there's some myth busting happening in there and it is from one of kaylee's favorite authors tk fisher delightful lady yeah one of the things that I think people don't always realize is that authors do write on a freelance basis, which has so they have the exact same pitfalls as, you know, I always use the the example of actors, right? People always talk about starving actors because they are having <laughs> problems. It's always feast or famine. Like, you're yeah, exactly. A very, very rare feast when you get paid and you get paid like a huge chunk of change. But then that's supposed to like, mm-hmm. then you, you still you need to keep getting work. Right. And, and you have to pay taxes on that ch- taxes. huge chunk of change. <laughs> Sucks. So T. Kingfisher, who's also Ursula Vernon, was reviewing like how it actually breaks down for authors, even best-selling authors, even authors who have sold million a million copies of Which, their- to be clear, is way more than the average author. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, we talked about this before. Uh, I'm not, again, not sure if we've published this particular, like, kind of statistic, but, like, selling what was, like, a, a couple thousand copies is 
making it big. Yeah. Getting you in the NYT New York Times bestseller list only takes like 5,000 copies. So, and T. Kingfisher has sold, sold millions. So, you would think just from those numbers that she is living in it. Super, super well off. So, anyway, so this. Uh, no. <laughs> it starts with somebody going like, uh, in this case, it was um, a Balaneras was the Twitter handle, mm-hmm. who was just like, I don't know um, if I'm being dumb, but it's sort of terrifying to me that you can move seven digit copies. That's a million copies. And that's still not set for life territory and then um so t king fisher aka ursula vernon um was like it's not naive or dumb you know it seems like it should be right and yet Mm -hmm. um and then so she actually started to break down like how all that maths out Mm -hmm. and so for those of us who are intimidated by math she made it very easy so don't worry about it so she said that the uh, Dragon Breath books sold for uh, basically fourteen dollars, thirteen ninety nine for hardcover, and then eight ninety nine for paperback. So yeah, there's and- a lot of like business math in there because some of that money does have to go to the people who actually produced the book, the people who printed the book, and put up the money for all the paper and the cover design and the editors to make sure that you didn't print any typos and the marketing people. Everybody that went into the production of the book so like at yeah. the end of the day maybe you get a dollar exactly a dollar a book mm-hmm. and then outside of that you have to pay taxes and you have to pay any people that you personally like may have contracted with ultimately you maybe you made sixty thousand dollars off of the lifetime of that book so mm-hmm. like and it, and it goes on over years like mm-hmm. you might be selling this book over 10 20 years so you're not making like a million dollars immediately you're making a million dollars over 10 years which is what a lot of other people make at like a mid-range salary job sure yeah so it's it was it was a lot as a or a person that is operating in a creative space like it is really really a lot and it's a labor of love like every every writer every editor every person that's involved in this industry is passionate about what they do and at the end of the day like respect because it's not you're not in there to get rich and that's like a lot of the comments are like well this is like really eye-opening and why did you add so much math uh (laughs) (laughs) there were yeah people being like can you not with the numbers maybe yeah but like it's good that people like understand going in because you know as passionate as you are like it's just we were talking about this i think also um you know neil gaiman had said like don't make this your thing if you're not independently wealthy like have another thing and like write on the side until you can get established and if you ever get there write because you want to write what you want to write but don't overcommit yourself to something that you can't that can't sustain you because it's not we were talking we've talked about this before it's unfortunately not a even mid-range game like it is a rich person's game a lot of times yeah unfortunately so so unfortunately yeah um and i'll have that link for you in the show notes if you guys want to take a look i'll also have it in the transcript on our brand new Substack. yeah girl Um, Props to T. Kingfisher for, like, keeping it real. Yes. And for, like, keeping those records and knowing all that off the top of her head, that was really, really helpful and impressive, if I'm honest. Uh, Moving on, contributors to the newspaper of record, the New York Times, have written an open letter to the editorial standards editor to protest the paper's treatment of trans people. So some progress, perhaps, on the horizon. Uh, basically, this comes to us from Lit Hub, and this was an open letter from people, including Roxanne Gay and other contributors, other high-profile contributors, asking the New York Times to do better. That 
in a lot of its coverage, there are tacit claims of trans people being crazy or infectious or somehow wrong. And they're saying, look, your editors need to do better. Your editors need to stop this language from going through. And also your writers need to stop acting like this is okay. And I kind of appreciated that, that it was, it was a lot of people signed on to it. So my, my guess is that it was like a, some, one of those things that was like the letter was written and then it was sent Asked around to everyone and have to, you know, add your name and things like that, which is, you know, totally fine. Yeah. But I don't know that it was like Roxanne Gay wrote this along mm. with everybody else. But I did absolutely appreciate that. I mean, one of the things that we know for a fact is that trans people are not infectious. You are not infected with transness. So, um, I was really appreciative of that and uh, hot on the heels of that. The Cambridge Dictionary updated its definition of woman. Yes, yeah. it was very sweet. I, in a sea of bad news, I appreciated these two stories kind of coming within the same week. Yeah. Um, so Cambridge Dictionary updated its d- definition of woman. You can go to dictionary.cambridge.org and look up woman. Um, and you'll see uh, that it includes uh, people who identify as women who may not be perceived as women by other people, but who are. And dictionaries usually pride themselves on being descriptive rather than prescriptive. So what they're saying is that they are reflecting a change that already exists. If someone is a woman, then they are a woman. It doesn't matter what, you know, Steve down the street says about your friend. Your friend is who they are. It doesn't really matter. Um, You don't need to deal with the biases of other people when it comes to using a word. You can just use it. Which is wonderful. Like, honestly, like, more than anything else, like, the fact that dictionaries are responding is is heartening because it is – we've talked about this, like, the vocal minority, and that is 100% a thing. Like, most people aren't out there just, like, pitching hatred and bile into the world. Yeah. So, um, props. Moving on to our favorite news section. Uh, We have a new head of the American Association of Publishers. We are on the record um, as being on the side of libraries in the libraries versus AAP uh, conflict. But we still, of course, appreciate the American Association of Publishers. These are all the publishing companies in America. And they are giving us the books that we love. And we're... We're here doing this we podcast because we love books. We just want you to do better. That's all. We, we just, think you can do better. We yeah. just want you to do better. We're like the dis- you know disappointed parent. We're not mad. We're just disappointed. Yeah. We just want you to be nice to libraries. Anyway, the AAP has appointed a new chair of the board of the association. And that is Julia A. Reedhead. Congratulations. Good for her. Absolutely. Apparently, she's been on the board for a few years now at this point. Yeah, and she's also the chairman and president of W.W. Norton & Co., which is uh, another publishing company. It's very cool. Like, good for you. Absolutely. And then, like, that kind of trails into the, the next... Yeah, you want to intro it for us? Yeah! So we've got new uh, Latina authors breaking into the book industry and telling us about their experience, which was a little bit difficult, unfortunately, but also ultimately heartening, which is that, you know, they've, you know, the issues that they've had trying to break into the publishing industry and get their books picked up, breaking into the the wider sphere of influence as authors, and ultimately how they're succeeding, which is awesome. It's really wonderful. Um, I'm going to run through the, the list of authors and their Uh, books really quickly so that you will be able to if you want to uh, search for them but i will also have this list in our show notes 
Uh, Tamika Burgess, author of Sincerely Sicily. Her book had just come out when this uh, article had come out, so it was uh, full of congratulations for her. Claire Yemenez, author of Staten Island Stories and What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez, which was one of the most anticipated books of the year. I'm so excited. Congratulations. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Ella Caron, author of Viva Lola Espinosa, who it seems like had a really long but fantastic journey into becoming a published Latina author. So congratulations. Jennifer Maritza McCauley, author of Scar on, Scar off, and When Trying to Return Home, who also did, um, had, I think, really good advice for what to do when you deal with rejection. She said, pretty much everything I've ever done has been rejected by someone before it got accepted. It's part of the process. I liked that. I thought that was really sweet. I think that also, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go through and confirm like who said this, but like, what story can you tell? What story do you want to tell that is unique to you and to yeah. your passion? And that's the story you've, you've told. And then some people don't want to hear it. Some people don't think they want to hear it, but right. that's still you're the only person that could have told that story so are you going to deny that deny the wider world that opportunity yeah it was tragic but hopeful and wonderful this article is absolutely fantastic uh, shout out to refinery 29 and i'll add this into the show notes and i will also add uh, all of these books onto our uh, bookshop list for the episode moving on to our favorite section kaylee what are you reading I actually haven't picked up Harrow the Ninth. I, I <laughs> you don't have, have to justify anything to me. <laughs> I finished Gideon the Ninth. Actually, let's go back to that because I don't think anybody knows that I finished it. So we're going to start again. What do you mean? I watched that episode. You, oh, did did it say that I had finished it or yeah. that I had? Oh, 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 sorry. Yes, no, correct. Go ahead. I said go ahead. that I was halfway through. As far you'd as read they a, you'd, know. You'd read another page. I finished Gideon the Ninth. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> And I have the next book. Um, I loved it. I loved the way oh, I did it. I definitely liked the characters more by the end, per se, than the beginning. Because they just liked each other more. Which I don't necessarily have to personally like Like the character. I have to be, I have to be invested in the relationship in anything. Yeah. And I, ne- I wasn't necessarily at the beginning. I was by the end. And the world building is phenomenal. Yeah. And like, I do really like her writing. Like, her writing is great. Super support, like, her as an author. Great job for you. Because, like, I, when my brain doesn't want to read something, I almost never get through it. Mm-hmm. And I managed to to get, it was interesting enough in the way that you wrote it was approachable enough that when you, you were able to find your stride in the middle of the book for me. And I still made it all the way through. Like, I got there. So, like, good for you. Super cool book. Loved it a lot. Very interested in the second book. And then I read uh, Nettle and Bone. That's right. You had been looking forward to that one. I did. By T. Kingfisher. That's true. Who we talked about earlier in the it's episode. True. It's an excellent fairy tale book. Mm-hmm. But the um, the main The cover is really cool. I looked at it. Well, cool. I actually I actually bought it for you for Christmas you and then you had already bought it for yourself. <laughs> or someone else had gotten it for you. You already had it somehow. I've but... got so many like double titles somehow <laughs> for T. Kingfisher, which is interesting because like I only have them on Amazon. So mm-hmm. like it says when so anyway, it doesn't matter. No, it's fine. Uh, it was just funny. I, in fairness, did not look at your Amazon before I bought it. I'm I just saw. I get it. No, I just saw t- new King Kingfisher book. Like, I know Kaylee hey, likes, and then and, and then you're like, oh, I got this new book by T Kingfisher, and I was like, oh. of course you did. <laughs> so read that before okay. you read Sword Heart. And okay. I only say that because this is a much shorter fairy tale book. Okay. And then when you read Sword Heart, and she wrote, I think she started as a much like a short story, and then it became like this. It's, it's basically like a baby novel, a little mm-hmm. more than a novella, but not quite. Okay. 
Um, and I really do like the main character and I like the focus on like her devotion to her, like her sister and like making sure that her sister doesn't like bad things don't continue to happen, like getting her sister out of a bad situation or at least salvaging it as much as possible. And the complicated relationship like with their mom, there is a romance subplot kind of, mm -hmm. and it's definitely the same vibe as in Sword Heart. Okay but not as well fleshed out. Are the characters related or is it a totally different universe? They're just similar different vibes. Universe, similar vibes. Okay. And, and really cool fairy tale and world building in a fairy tale style. This was 100% a fairy tale. All vibes, no chasing? Um, Mostly. Like it, nice. it definitely was was certainly heavier on that. I'm into vibes. Um, <laughs> and then remind me later because I want to loan you a book. Okay. I, you, I haven't given you Sword Heart back. I've had oh, it for like a year. <laughs> so many books to loan you. I don't care. Just take them in and read them. Oh, we can talk good. about them. All right. But there's another one speaking of fairy tales. I will say my mom called me the other day oh. and was like, I recommended you a book a month ago. Why have you not read it? And I was just like, mom, you don't understand. I have a book podcast. All people do is recommend me books. I have so many to this read. This is it. There are people who I haven't spoken to in 10 years who message me and go, excuse me, have you read this book? And I'm like, Hi. No. Hi. I haven't heard from you in a long time. I heard you to Tell me podcast. what you're reading. <laughs> All right, I'll put it on my list. So funny. My husband gets really frustrated because he has recommended several books to me. And Did I, you ever read all of the Johans Cabal series? No, I sure have not. That's um, I also haven't favorite. read all of the David Wong series. I also haven't read uh, 11-22-63 or all of the Lightbringer series. I, I'm a big fan of starting series that my husband recommends to me and not finishing them. Why does he keep recommending series to me? He was asking for it. It's true. And, and, and in fairness, the one my mom gave to me was also the first one in a series. Y'all need to stop trying to manipulate me into reading series, okay? Annie, what are you reading right now? I am reading a book by Susan Orlean called The Library Book, which is, it's nonfiction. It's one of those uh, memoir laced with history um, where it's a woman who just loves libraries and is doing a deep dive on the history of the Los Angeles library, Ooh. which has had a cast of characters as head librarians. <laughs> the first one, or not the first one, like the one of the first, I think like the first, maybe the third one, she was a bamf and her whole thing was just like settling trivia disputes because she just knew everything and she, like, headed up the suffragette movement. And when they were like, oh, okay, well, the library is doing well now because of you, ma'am. So we're going to fire you because a woman shouldn't be in this kind of job when a library is doing well. <laughs> and so they tried to fire her and she refused to go. She just kept coming into work and doing business as usual. And the guy who was supposed to replace her just like noped out of town until she gave up. He was like, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to fight her. Like they are all going to her. Yeah. He's like, listen, this is this is a you guys problem. You're the ones who fired her. Eventually, they got her out after like three months when when she finally you know was like i hate you people um but then like he himself the guy who came in was a character he had walked from new york to los angeles Jesus. it was in the 1800s but still no that's that's, that's still worse i feel like that's worse <laughs> yeah right and he had like written he was one of those people who was a very who was a process person he like created books out of wood pulp by hand by himself 
to sell sometimes because he was like, I think it would be really cool if I just made books. And I'm like, bro. From the from scratch. <laughs> yeah, literal scratch. Like, he felled the tree himself. I don't think he actually felled the tree himself, but who knows? He walked. He might have. He could have. <laughs> Sounds like it's possible. I don't know. They didn't mention how long I took him. But anyway, uh, so the framing story that they're using is, so in, I believe it was the 1980s, someone burned down the Los Angeles, the main central branch of the Los Angeles mm, Public I Library. And you can apparently still smell the smoke in some of the books because they still have mostly or they still have some most of the collection left that survived. It's still in the library. Very cool. No, not very cool, Kaylee. A building burned down. They still they <laughs> saved the books. They That's did cool. save the book. There was and there's like a beautiful heartening story of like the city kind of coming together. They formed like a human chain to get the books out of the building. Of course that's what I was responding and- to, Annie. <laughs> No, not like, you're right. I was thinking, let's just burn down a library. That's anyway. awesome. <laughs> well, you said that they saved the books because you could still smell the smoke and they saved them. And I they said, did save cool. them. They did. I was directly responding to the thing you had just said. Anyway, um, about arson. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really fantastic. So um, there is a suspect, a guy who I think he was arrested for the crime and charged for the crime, but I believe he was let off. So the question central to the book is who did it and yeah. why? And if it wasn't this guy, um, so that's called The Library Book by Susan Orlean. Arson. Like we love Arson on this show. <laughs> well, <laughs> not of libraries, though. No, not, not of, of libraries. libraries. Leave libraries alone. They're, they're going through it. <laughs> yeah, they're having a rough time. All right, Kaylee, do you have a Kaylee Coda for us for this newsy Leave episode? libraries alone. They're having a tough yeah. time. <laughs> Tell them. And the librarians will fight you if you don't. And apparently the librarians are just always ready to go. Like, they are my flowers for sure. Smackdown. Librarian. WWE. WrestleMania. Fuck with a library. You get a librarian. That's right. That's right. Evie Callahan would be, would, would, she knows what's up. Dang right she does. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening to The Ink Sink. I have been Annie. I'm Kaylee. And this is the publishing podcast for the rest of us, continuing season two. We're in season two. We're in season two. The second one. Um, If you would like to follow us on any of our social media, you absolutely can. You can also join our Substack where we have all of our, or we will have episode transcripts right now. I think there's only one or two up. Um, it is rocking it out. <laughs> doing my best. She's doing great. We're also on YouTube. You can check out our bookshop link. I make sure to post all of the books that we discuss, even the ones that we just talk about in passing. If they sound interesting to you, they will be up on our bookshop if you buy a book from our bookshop storefront, we might get a commission. But more importantly, bookshop.org supports independent bookstores with every purchase. You buy anything, even if you don't select a bookstore, they will put your commission into a pool that just gets dispersed to independent bookstores. Please, please, please help them out. Um, you can find all of our, the links to that in our link tree, which you can find anywhere you find us. Anchor, Spotify, Apple, blah, blah, blah. And if you would like to support us, you can on Anchor. You can support us on Anchor for as low as 99 cents a month. We also have a tip jar available in our link tree if you don't feel like supporting us on Anchor or on Substack. You know what? That's fair. Um, uh- <laughs> but you want to support us? There's your chance. I think we need to wrap up this episode. I'm so sorry.